Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And welcome to the Church Planner Podcast. The third edition. You know, this this is the Church Planner Podcast, but we do have a sister podcast, Hardcore Church Planning. And if you haven't listened to it, it's probably because we hardly do any episodes for it. But when we do do episodes, it is a fantastic podcast. Absolutely. And we had and what JD do people Greer. say? What do our guests say about us, Pete, you when know, they're on that podcast? I was just thinking about J.D. Greer. Let me see what he had to say. My name is J.D. Greer, and you are listening to Hardcore Church Planning with Pete and Peyton, two guys with faces absolutely made for radio, but the force is strong with them. So you're going to want to stick with them. I don't know what he means by that. Hey, spoken like a true Jedi master. Hey, this is Lance Ford, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planting with the two greatest metrosexual hosts in church planting world that you'll ever meet. So that's what they say about us after we've interviewed them. So if you haven't headed over to hardcore church planting, there's no smack talk, but there is kind of like some smackdown talk at the end, right? There I mean, is. You actually reminded me. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. So we, we, we ask a question at the end. We usually pit them against somebody else in a fist fight. We say, if you were to enter into a fist fight and we'll pick another preacher or missionary or church planner who would win. And, uh, the results, didn't we put someone against you. mother Teresa? We did. I, I can't remember who that was. was it wasn't that Michael Philip Frost or was Francis Chan. It wasn't Michael we had to Frost. Pick someone kind of lightweight. <laughs> it wasn't Michael Frost against mother <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Hugh Halter against mother Teresa. Was it? Who, who did we pit? I don't remember who we pit Michael Frost against. Do you remember? Well, I do remember one of them was, uh, Michael Frost, if you were to get into a fist fight with Michael Frost, who would win? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I totally remember that. We put him he's against always himself. Like, he's the equivalent of like unleash the Kraken. You know, when we need like a really heavy hitter, we unleash Michael Frost on him. That is true. That is Derwin true. Derwin Gray. Oh, I think we did do Derwin Gray, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, what it Might have been Derwin Gray. I know we asked Derwin Gray about, did we ask him about Michael Frost or did we ask him about Rick no, Warren? No, I think we put him against Rick Warren. Yeah. Yeah, he said Rick Warren would kick his butt. Well, what are you going to say when you, you you like getting on his stage? Uh, 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 he would kick my butt. Yeah, yeah, right. NFL but deep down player, inside, Rick I, Warren's going to kick your butt. Exactly. He's have me come speak again. <laughs> deep down inside, we all know pretty much no one on the planet's taking out Derwin Gray. That's all I'm saying. Pretty much. Maybe even Michael Frost couldn't take out Derwin Gray. Although Michael, you know, he was he was telling us he's not really much of a fighter. He's just got attitude, man, that fills a room well, in a good think, way. I don't think you consider it a fight when you just pull out a gun. <laughs> I, I like Frosty, man. He he is he is cool. His uh, recent interview, by the way, on um, the Five Habits is very very good. And if you get a chance, to listen to that. His his new book, I think, is going to be his best. Yeah. Here's a here's another clip that we had. Uh oh, wrong button. Wrong button. I'm Brian Broderson. You've been listening to Pete and Peyton, two guys that definitely need surf lessons. Ironically. Totally true. Uh, that is, and I live right by the beach. Yeah. Hi, this is Frank Viola from beyondevangelical.com, and you're listening to one of the most entertaining podcasts on the web today, the Church Planter Podcast with Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell. I, at this point, I'm basically just trying to show off. Hey, look at who we know. We got <laughs> sound bites from them. I'm just sitting here, and I'm I'm waiting for Chewbacca. <laughs> That's what did a, Chewbacca say about us, Pete? Well, that's on a whole nother. Uh, that's on a whole nother soundboard. <laughs> yeah, you know, and when he said that, Pete, that touched me. I was I, touched. I don't want to hear about that. So, hey, do you have any good smack talk today? <laughs> now I'm about to spit out my drink. Pete boldly goes where no podcaster, no other podcaster, where should no Christian go. podcaster should go. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Most of the time they go over my head, but that one actually struck and hit. We, we are the the shock jocks of the church planner world. Uh, I, I think you're the shock jock of the church planner world. <laughs> I am I am the uh, Dean Martin dear Jerry Luce. There are friend. so many times people don't understand that we have to go back in there and edit out. Did you listen to last week's? Oh, my gosh, dude. Yes. When I, ha- when I did that beep, <laughs> did you hear that? It <laughs> was funny. <laughs> I had to go back in. I'm like, how do I get rid of this one line? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm listening to the pod. I went back and listened. And <laughs> as I'm listening, I'm going, we're just wholly entertaining ourselves. <laughs> Our poor audience, man. <laughs> By now, they're like, yeah, I used to listen to those guys. They, yeah. I do. I do hear from people every once in a while. They're like, yeah, I listen every once in a while. I try and check in every once in a while, hear how things are going. They just don't have the commitment. They don't have the commitment. No. So I got some smack talk. Let's hear I had, it. I mean, it has been a crazy, like not goofing around now. It has been a crazy week um, where everything that pretty much, you know, could drop out from my schedule and like just throw a major wrench in the in the gears of my week and my agenda has happened, which which is good. I mean, Monday night, my wife got a flat tire. And, uh, you know, I didn't know this. Like, I've been living over in Europe. 
I hearken back to the days when men were men. You know, like Archie Bunker said, gals were gals and men were men. You went and changed a tire, man. Your wife calls you. You're like, I'll be right there, baby. And you hop in the car. You give her your keys. You know, you get the jack out of the back of her car. You jack it up. You change the tire, right? Nowadays, all the guys are like, did you call AAA? And so I'm out there now, right? I'm, I'm honestly dark. listening to you going, why in the world would you do that? Like, I'd be like, hun, you got a AAA card. Why are you calling me? When I left this country, you got to understand, I still don't know that America's moved on since 1999. I left this country in 1999. Why were we, you doing this before 1999? I had AAA all my life, but I was taught you change your own tire. It's a man thing, right? You don't you don't call a guy and another guy to change your it, tire for you. I call you. it the highest and best use of my time. Is the highest and best use of my time changing a tire? No, it is not. Okay. Okay. Well, look, I may have... I, I, let's just say I may have learned a lesson this week <laughs> that, that might have happened. Old dog, new tricks, maybe. You didn't. But, you, you didn't put the lug nuts on tight enough, did you? <laughs> is that is that why your wheel fell off? <laughs> I was wondering about that. No, but so I, I go down right, and uh, and I'm there, you know, because it's like it's macho time, man. I can't say it's Miller time. It's macho time, and uh, so I'm changing the tire. I cannot get. The wheel off. This thing has rusted on to the drum. And I'm pulling and pulling. And I'm hoping, you know, because my wife, you know, I, I give her my keys and I send her off. But I'm hoping, like, please nobody see me, right? Because I'm pulling on this thing. And I'm starting to feel like a girly man. It finally popped after I called AAA. I called my most macho friend who lives up in, it's not you. I called my most macho friend who lives up in Alaska. Ex-salmon fisherman. You know, b- restores a Stingray Corvette in his garage, builds motorcycles from scratch, uh, you name it. He won a second story to his house, so he built it himself, all by himself. Like, that's my most macho friend, right? Ex-salmon fisherman, all that stuff. So uh, I call him up, and I'm like, dude, uh, you're my most macho friend. I'm changing this tire, man. This used to take me like 10, 15 minutes, and uh, I can't do it. And he's like, well, like, did you pull hard enough? I'm like, dude, I am pulling as hard as I can on this thing. And finally, so I call AAA. He's like, I don't know, man, maybe call AAA. (laughs) When he said call AAA, I decided maybe I'll call AAA. So I call AAA. AAA. Now I'm mad that I've had to call AAA. So it's like this Hulk strength comes on me, like, you know, like David Banner. You know, Bruce Bixby, you know, Bruce Bixby. Is it Bruce Bixby? Yeah. Or Bill Bixby. Bill Bixby. Oh, you know, Hulk, can I change this tire, man? It pops off and I cancel AAA and I strut back into my car and I drive home. And uh, so anyways, that story took a life of its own. But the the moral of this story was then Tuesday morning, you know, because it's only the donut. Then I got to like go down and get it repaired. But all week long, I'm praying in the morning, God, your agenda, not my will be done. and at every point throughout the week, I can feel my tension rising because all of my agenda and all my schedule and all my strategic orchestrating of my own agenda has just gone out the window. Strategic. Oh, yeah, baby. Hey, I did that strength finders thing. I'm strategic, apparently. I'm very strategic. What was the strength finders thing? I did do a strength finder test. <laughs> so, so anyways, you know, here's the deal. This. 
Huh? You know I don't believe in those. I know you don't. Especially you now. Don't. Now that I know that you're strategic, I don't believe in those. <laughs> Your test is wrong. <laughs> so here's the deal, right? So, um, and and I just feel the Lord kind of going, hey, Peyton, you know, you, uh, you've been telling me, boom, boom, boom. And so I felt this peace just like washing over me in spite of the fact that my whole agenda was just getting wrecked all week. And then I had to go visit this guy on his deathbed. Which, uh, you know, it's never convenient, right? Like, dude's going to die. They're like, he probably won't make it the, the, the weekend. And so I told him, okay, I'll be there Tuesday. And uh, so <laughs> that, that was after the weekend. I couldn't go. <laughs> oh, I didn't catch I that. I thought, that. I'm thinking this is on Monday. And you're like, okay, yeah, I'll yeah. be there Tuesday. Yeah, no, no. They told me like on Friday, he's not going to make the weekend. I said, well, I can go Tuesday. And uh, he was still around. I've been doing the Hey, it's not my first rodeo. Let me tell you that. <laughs> Hey, Wouldn't I've been you doing felt this for bad if he time. died on like Saturday morning? What's that? Wouldn't you have felt bad if he died Saturday morning? Yeah, but I get over it. <laughs> just, you're just looking at me like, dude, dude, spend no, an eternity in hell and you'll get literally. over it. Well, that's no, no, good. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But honestly, I could not make it. So my I wife's understand. birthday party was on Saturday. That I had to do that. Sunday, I was preaching. And then. Sunday after that, I I had ministry, so it was like there was literally nothing I could do, and uh, and so I call him. But here's the story: you ready for the story? I'm ready for the story. The real story is I call him up, and uh, so th- the only reason I can joke about this just just so you know, guys, like I would not really make that response. I'd get over it. I would be devastated if he were in hell. Um, but here's the reality: it has a good ending. This story. So I, I, I'm going to say some things. Just know this. You know, it's not often I, but when people's eternal destiny is at stake, you got to be careful. So here's the deal. Um, I, but I'm going out there and I can joke about it now because he did get saved on his deathbed. But uh, here, here's the deal. Um, he, I, I, I called the hospital on Sunday morning because I am worried. You know, if I, if there, if the nurse is going to tell me, look, um, He's going to go today. Obviously, I get my car and I go down. I'd have to ship things around. So I call him Sunday morning and I say, um, you know, here's the deal. Uh, such and such. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. The receptionist on a Sunday is not the receptionist on a Monday during the week, right? They're usually like temps or they're, you know, some candy striper. So I say, can you transfer me to the nurse's station? Now, church planner, we're going to talk. Our topic today <laughs> is going to be on doing funerals and death. Let this be a piece of advice during the smack talk. Right? A little nugget before we mind, you know, the, before we hit pay dirt. Here's a deal. Please don't make the mistake I made. Uh, when you call, please always ask before the switchboard operator switches you to the quote unquote nurses station. Please ask, who am I speaking to as your first thing that you say? Because I didn't do that. What I did, because I was in a hurry. As I said, yeah, hi, um, my name's Peyton Jones, and I am the pastor of uh, such and such, or at least the closest thing he's I ever know had where this to a is pastor. Going. I think I know where this is going. I said, uh, hey, I understand that he's probably not going to make it through the weekend, and I wanted to come visit him, and I just want to check on his status. And on the other end, <laughs> there's this, uh, uh, you, you want to... You, when do you you want me to to play music? You 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 want to 
you want to come see me? <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> She's transferred me to the bedside. I'm talking to him, and I've just told him he's not going to make it the weekend. So, uh, Well, I think was- it's important to know, did he know he wasn't going to make it the weekend? No, and sadly, that that was actually a very, very sucky part of that visit is um, I don't know that he understood because I was talking fast. I don't think he caught it. But when I got there, unfortunately, and I, I, you know, being a firefighter, I mean, I've, and a nurse, I've, I've watched people die. I've been there working on people while they die. I mean, it's a sad thing, but having to tell someone who doesn't know that they're going to die is a very sucky thing. And, um, and I had to do that. I had to chat with him. I'm just going to throw this out there. This is possibly the worst smack talk we've ever had. This is like the most serious, you know, you're talking about, I got to tell someone they got to die. That, how's that smack talk? Where's the levity? Where's the levity? (laughs) You got to remember, man, I was 17 years old. When I watched my first person die, I mean, I've been dealing with death because, you know, I, I, that's how I got into nursing. I needed credits to graduate. So after school, seven, you know, 17 years old, the only way I was going to graduate on time was to go do this health ROP thing. And uh, I can remember 17 years old walking onto my campus, man, going, wow, you guys are into all this stuff. And man, like I've just, I just watched someone die yesterday. And, you know, so from 17, man, that that's just been a reality for me. You know, up until 19 years old, I'm doing CPR. 19 years old, I'm doing CPR on somebody my second day on the floor in nursing school. Again, and, uh, and again she died. I thought we were in smack talk. I didn't I realize. So, but I'm just saying, like, it's just it's just part of who I am, man. Like, it, it anyway, so I, I guess what I'm saying, it's not it's not that I'm callous, but I've been dealing with death for a long time. So on that note, uh, should we just get right into <laughs> You're the topic? Freaked out. You're freaked out. I'm, I'm not, not freaked, freaked out. out I'm like, how did you go to like the most serious subject you can go to? Dude's dying. Because my smack talk is, my smack talk my is. My smack talk is, my schedule got all screwed up. He got, he got saved, which was awesome. Like there's nothing better than coming, coming away. And it has the same effect. You come away from a deathbed confessional. And the dude surrenders his life to Christ. And there's just nothing better, right? And then at the 11th hour, someone says, you know what? I'm, I'm, I surrender, Jesus, you know, take me. And, and I had had conversations with him over the years where he even told me, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Mm. Those weren't his exact words. So you've known but they were like, he said, you almost, you've almost convinced me, Peyton. And, um, and that was two years ago. So, I mean, and, you, you've known him for a while. Yeah, I used to take him out to coffee. When we first started church planning, he uh, and he was just like my dad. His testimony is almost exactly, and I can't go into it out of respect for my dad and out of respect for him. Um, but his testimony was was you know it was pretty bad. And uh, he uh, he and I told him when I went in there, I just said, "Hey, man, if you remember, your your story is my dad's." And so he really pulled my heartstrings um, when I first met him. And I, and I shared with him, you know, it's not an accident. Two years ago, I'm out to breakfast with him, telling him, hey, it's not an accident that you've come here. Like, you are just like my dad. And I watched my dad have a radical conversion before he got saved. But anyways, all that, all that to say, I mean, it just, to me, the smack talk in that story is calling up and getting the wrong guy and telling, you know, 
I mean, that's like walking to the pulpit with your fly down and preaching an entire sermon. It's on that level of ministerial faux pas to actually not ask who am I speaking to and be talking as if you're speaking to a nurse and say, he's probably not going to make it through the weekend and blah, 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 blah. That's just, you can imagine speaking when of, I heard his voice. Sp- speaking of walking up to the pulpit with your fly down, ha- have you ever had someone in the audience kind of like mouth to you, your zippers down, and then you realize they're just yanking your chain as you're like, uh, uh, excuse me. Now that is a cruel trick. And uh, I've done that to speakers wow. all the time. I'm like, dude, you fly. And they're like, what? You do that? <laughs> oh, yeah. You've never done that to me. I am so glad you've oh, never. Well, thank I, you. Maybe because I have a little bit more respect for the church, <laughs> but I don't outside the church, especially so, when they're so really when nervous. At, when well, you're at sales meetings, you pull that on people? Oh, yeah, especially if they're like That's up in front of a big crowd and they're like there to sell a product. I love yanking <laughs> their chain, man. I'm like, dude, your zipper's down. <laughs> it's great. I'm going to try that the next church planner meeting I'm at. Oh, dude. Oh, yeah, do that to Frosty. Next time you see him up on stage. No, like, he'll kill me. No, no. Why, why'd you pick Frosty? Why not Francis? I could take Francis. Francis. <laughs> I don't know, because Francis wears sweats. I don't know, but if Francis <laughs> knows karate, then I'm dead. Remember when you're a kid karate. and if someone said they knew karate, it was over. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And you're in the chest bumping stage, and then they go, I know karate. And you're like, whoa. And you back off. No, I still I fought him. Up that. I still fought him. You did? Yeah. Well, they never knew karate. Yeah, no, no. Usually usually the way that I fought is a whole lot of slapping. <laughs> <laughs> and they ended Just up saying. stunned, and you were able to work him before the, the stun effect wore off? Well, since we're we're at the end of our smack talk time, which was... I hogged it. <laughs> That's the sound of me sucking up all the oxygen. Yeah, which if there's anybody still listening to this episode, we'd just like to let you know that it's been brought to you by MoGive.com. MoGive.com is a great online and text-based giving platform built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. Go to MoGive.com forward slash church to learn more. Unless you're dead. <laughs> you really wanted to get that in there, didn't you? <laughs> I, I just figured I freaked you out like by talking about death, which is funny because you, you should probably tell us how this topic came about, number one. And number two, um, you, you guys, you which should is know not this, funny how this Pete topic Mitchell came about. is not comfortable with feelings or death or hugging. Those three topics make him uncomfortable. Which topics? I just threw threw out a few uh, um, hugging. um, See, that's not a topic that I talk about. I just don't like to be hugged. I don't like to be touched. Well, if I talk about how you and I hug a lot, then you start getting uncomfortable. We really don't hug. I want everyone to understand (laughs) and know that. We don't hug. We have no (laughs) physical contact whatsoever. See? Okay. All right. So moving on to (laughs) I rest my case. This is why we're supposed to do the podcast at 10 a.m. We have a set routine, and it's much better when we stick to our routine. We start bucking the trend. Like, it's already 1.30 in the afternoon. We're not as fresh. We're just not as fresh. It's all I'm saying. You go back and listen to it, and you'll find Peyton Jones is the freshest. I just, I really, when I, when I re-listened to last week's, I thought it was hilarious. It was pretty funny. Yeah, especially when I did the beep. 
Oh, gosh, dude. That was hilarious. Was that your voice? Yes. I was like, I can't find it. I know. I'll just re-record over it. Beep. (laughs) So that's what I had to do. I was pretty good. Well, hey, should we uh, press the Doc Brown button and head into our topic? Well, you might as well press the Doc Brown button because as far as I'm concerned, we started the topic early. Yeah. I kind of right, cheated. Scott, it's time for this week's topic. So, Peyton Jones, why don't you tell everyone what's our topic about this week? Our topic this week is death and dying and not not death and dying in general. But, you know, it was funny because Pete, you know, had a funeral. I don't know if you want to talk more about it, but, um, you know, Pete, Pete texted me. Uh, I think it was a night before a funeral. Hey, man, what do you say at a funeral? And that just got me thinking like a lot of our, in, in particular in a church, not like you've never been in a funeral before, but I mean, you were asking about, hey, how do I, how do I inject the gospel? You know, and I, I still to this day don't know uh, what your, uh, you know, what your level of uh, involvement in this funeral was. But the reality was that uh, I started thinking, man, I bet a lot of our church planners have never taken a funeral. And I wanted to walk you through that today. Yeah, no, well, what started it was uh, a a good friend of mine who we used to be in business together years ago, um, and then the stock market crashed and all that stuff that we had happened in 2007, 2008, really destroyed that business. And so, um, so, I mean, that's the reason why we stopped working together. It wasn't like we had a falling out or anything. But his son uh, committed suicide at uh, 18. Um, his son was living with uh, the mom, and he, he had my, my buddy and his wife had gotten a divorce by this point, and um, and it was just it was it was literally just a heartbreaking story. I mean, anytime you lose a kid, I, I haven't lost a kid. I pray to God I don't lose one of my yeah. kids. It's not even something I want to fathom going through. And then you know, suicide to boot. That's just, you know, it, you're as a parent, I can only imagine you sitting there going, I could have done more. I could have done more. Whether or not you could have, I don't know, but I just got to imagine those are the thoughts going through your head. So, you know, and, and he and I over the years since then have have butted heads on more than one occasion because I'm very um, I, I've got some very strong opinions when it comes to business. Some mm. things that I'm like. You know, I just I don't bend on. And, and so we've we've butted heads. But, you know, I found out this news from a mutual friend of ours. And so I call him up, man, and he's of course, he's broken up. He's in tears and he's like, hey, you know, come to the funeral. And, and I realized that over the years, I've probably been one of the 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 only real Christian influences on his life, which is sad because back in those days, I would say I was a Christian, but I was not. Not like I'm a great Christian now, but I'm at a totally different point at this point in my life. And um, so anyway, our there's there's another uh, friend, the guy who told me, uh, you know, that his son had died. Uh, he's a really good friend as well, and he and I have been in business together, but he's an atheist. And... I knew he was going to be at the funeral. And so the father, his name is John. Um, John asked me, he goes, Hey, uh, would you be willing to say a few words at the funeral? And so I'm like thinking in the back of my head, okay, I know our other friend is going to be there. Who's an atheist. You know, I want 
like this could be a great opportunity, right? Death could be a great yeah. opportunity to get people to like think about God. Is this the atheist that you wrote the letter yeah, to? Yeah, it's the atheist that yeah. I wrote the letter I was to. A, did you talk about the letter? Because no, I mean, not on the podcast. That uh, that letter you wrote to him was a masterpiece. Well, I don't we know need that to read that a masterpiece by any means. I just no, dude. Banged it I'm, out and I'm not talking it. about your English teacher would have loved it. I mean, <laughs> no, no, no I one's mean, ever accused me of that. <laughs> I mean, as, as far as a way a to approach a friend, an atheistic friend. With the gospel, it was so well done, man. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Because he'll probably be getting that letter today. But um, yeah. so so anyway, the, the the reason why the whole thing got brought up. So I called you, and I left you a voicemail or text. I don't remember what it was. I'm like, dude, you know, I might have to speak on Monday at this buddy's funeral. What do I say? And the other thing, too, I should add in there is um, my buddy, uh, John, he grew up and a very devout Catholic family. So suicide in Catholicism is you're going straight to hell. Right. And so I knew I was like, you know, when I was talking to him on the phone, I'm like, this has got to be something that's run through his head. Right. Cause even in his Facebook post, he's like, you know, I don't know why he did this, you know, how we grew up and our faith and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, dude, the thoughts got to be going through his head. So, you know, that was one of the things that, that we talked when we talked on the phone was about, you know, suicide and, um, and sin, you know, and, and God forgives sin. And I don't know anything about his son. I was actually really encouraged. Uh, it, ironically turns out the son who committed suicide attended at some point in his life for a couple of years, it sounded like he attended refuge Huntington beach, yeah. which, which is my sending that? church. Yeah. The sending church for refuge long beach. And it was like, what are the odds of that? Like, I mean, no one else in his family went to that church. Literally no one right. else in the family. Because uh, Jeff Wilson, who is uh, the youth pastor at Refuge Huntington Beach, he was doing the the funeral. And uh, he even came up to me afterwards like, hey, Pete, you know, how would you know the Moss family? And I'm like, oh, you know, I knew uh, uh, John and we worked together and his, the wife, Kim, you know, worked with them. And I knew the kids. I knew them when they were like in junior high. And um and I'm like, how did how did the son come here? And he goes, that's a good question. I have no idea. <laughs> like, yeah. no one knows. But according to Jeff, he's like, you know, he was definitely saved. Yeah. You know, and uh, and of course, then you got to deal with the idiots online. They're like, oh, you know, well, was he really saved? And, and it's like, dude, shut up. All right. Mm. Like, like it's your place to be questioning that in suicide. Yeah, because, you know, saved people never do things that they might have later regretted. Right. I mean, but that's a, that's a whole other subject for another podcast in and of itself. So the bottom line is I called you. You actually called me back. You left me a voicemail. It was about a minute and a half voicemail. And I literally thought it was the perfect uh, jumping off point for how to bring the gospel into a funeral. And so fortunately I actually didn't end up speaking at the funeral, which was great because I would have been really uncomfortable doing that. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but I had this little thing in my back pocket. I had the ammo. And so I even told you, I'm like, Hey dude, we got to talk about how to do a funeral because that was one of the things that I was wondering. I'm like, how do you bring the gospel into a funeral? And, you know, and, and, having even watched this funeral, I saw the gospel being brought into it. And in my opinion, it would have been served 
even better. Like it was, it was still served. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was there, but it would have been served even better. Had, uh, had it been done the way that you basically told me in about a minute and a half on, on a voicemail message. So, yeah, well, you know, and it was funny cause you said that to me, you're like, man, that was amazing. You know, it, it was the best advice. I, I can totally see it. And I got it from my sending, uh, not my sending, the guy who trained me up years ago. Um, basically, you know, again, I, I talk about being 19. So when I was in nursing school, I, you know, went on staff as part-time. I left my job. I was working at the college in the library. And uh, I went on staff as um, the youth pastor to take the youth pastor's place while his wife was was ill. And uh, by the time I was 20, I was promoted to an assistant pastor. And I, pretty soon I was taking funerals. And so I'm 20 years old. I'm doing marriage counseling. I'm not even married for three years yet. And uh, in other words, it, it was three years later. I got, I got married at 23. So I'm doing marriage. I'm doing all the, the big boy stuff that I shouldn't be doing at that age. But uh, I remember when I had my first funeral coming up, um, I, was, I was panicking inside. Like, oh, no. You know, because like people's weddings and people's funerals, there's a lot of pressure. This is somebody's day. You know, this is. This is a time where the family's in immense pain. Don't let me screw it up. I've since learned I would much rather do a funeral than a wedding. You know, kind of like Solomon said, better the house of mourning than the house of feasting. The reason why is people are contemplating eternity. They're contemplating their own mortality at a funeral. Whereas a wedding, you know, if if you screw up at a funeral, um, it's sad. And it's a bummer, but, um, you know, that person's, you haven't screwed up their day. You know, you just, no one cares. At a wedding, you can really mess up someone's day. I remember doing one wedding and talk about faux pas. This is the day I talk about all my faux pas. I once did a wedding where <laughs> I looked at, and it happened to be my best friend. I was doing his wedding, and I just made it way worse. I go, you see... When two men love each other, oh, no. and I meant to say people. <laughs> Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Oh, so you got that kind of a church. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm telling you, man, it was it was so bad. I mean, it was the worst. I tell guys, hey, you can't screw a wedding up, you know, because I want to take the pressure off you. If you screw up, it'll break the tension. Everyone will laugh, but that actually, that was a bad screw up. Did, did everyone laugh? Did people laugh? Oh, my gosh. So here's what happened, right? I go, you see, when two men love each other, and then I pause and I go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and so what happened was, um, anyway, so going back. So funeral, much rather take those. But I was nervous. So what I did is I went into my, uh, my, my senior pastor's library. He had this amazing library. And I nicked, that's a British way of saying, I stole. Uh, the Christian way of saying it for pastors is, I borrowed a book, but I stole it. I mean, it went to Wales with me years <laughs> later and everything. It left the country. But uh, that book. I think there's a general the, rule. If a book leaves the country, it's now yours. 
Yes, it's pretty much you stole it. And uh, in fact, I think I gave it away to a young pastor years later. So I recycled it. I pa- I paid it forward. I stole it forward. <laughs> stole but it uh, forward. but anyways, it was uh, it was called the minister's handbook. And I just didn't need it anymore when I gave it away. And I'm sure my senior pastor didn't need it. So that's how I justify my stealing. But uh, but it was called the minister's handbook. And I grabbed that thing and I read that. And I reread it. And anytime I'd have anything like a visitation, you know, they're like, hey, will you go visit so-and-so? They're sick. And I'd be like, oh, crap. And I go into my office. <laughs> sure, I will. You know, inside I'm like, oh, crap. And I go in there, minister's handbook. You know what wasn't in there is when the person calls out of the phone book and goes, oh, you're a pastor? I have a demon in my house. Can you come pray for my house? <laughs> and no one ever tells you how to deal with that. But That's not uh, in the minister's handbook? Looks like we've got a new product we get to put together. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's in the mint. We should write a minister's handbook, Pete. Except this, we're going to call it the complete minister's (laughs) handbook. Do you want the minister's handbook or the complete minister's handbook? You're such a great marketer. So so here's the deal is uh so I read that thing and then and then I went to my pastor and we're getting to this this it's not gonna seem like it's that big of a deal, but I remember the first person everybody was in doubt that she was saved. Um it just it, you know, none of her family thought she was. She had resisted the gospel and was very uh, you know, uh, had a lot of animosity towards Jesus. And so it was you know, pretty, you know, pretty good guess that she uh was not saved. And so I'm like, what do I say? You know, I'm a gospel preacher. What do I do? And my pastor gave me the sagest amount of wisdom. Um, and he just said, look, this is what you do. This is what I do. When somebody's not saved at a funeral, um, he goes, pretty much, it's going to be about their life. You have people uh, stand up. And you ha- first off, you, you, you read. You have the family prepare something in advance. Uh, you uh, read that. You read from the scripture. You give a mini sermon, and towards the end of your sermon, the way that you preach Christ is you say, so let's say this this woman's name was Cherie. Um, you say, you know, when Cherie died, um, she stood before her maker. And if she could tell you anything right now, she would say to you, believe in Jesus, trust in him. It's all true and it's all real and boom, boom, boom. And you just leave it there, you know, and then you go on with your appeal. And because if that person wasn't saved, that's still the, the, the point. They still bow to their knees and confess to the glory of God that Jesus is Lord. Um, Bible says every knee and every tongue will confess. So um, you're not being anti-biblical and you're able to tell them, look, the message from your loved one would be receive Christ. So that was... My sage bit of advice. Well, yeah. And in fact, the way that you you said it to me, it was basically like that. But the, the line that you used was consider Jesus. Yeah. And I thought that was such a great way to put it because it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't just straight in your face. I mean, it was just like yeah. a plea consider Jesus. Yeah. They would plead. They would plead with you. That was, and that was how it was put to me. And I, I've used that. Gosh, man, I'm 42 year, years old now. I use that, at, you know, saved or not saved. What I love is when they are saved and you're able to just talk about the preciousness of Christ and how he's the reward and their, they are now receiving their heart's fulfillment. I mean, it's hard, man. My, my best friend took his own life. 
Um, you know, uh, when I first got back from America, we saw each other. We went out to breakfast two, uh, uh, 10 days later, I was on the road up to Oregon to write church zero. Cha-ching! And, uh, you know, like six weeks later he was gone mm. and his, his widow called me and said, Hey, you know, um, Russ is gone. You know, he's, uh, He's taking his own life, and 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 that was devastating. You know, just that curiosity. Me. Did they have kids? They did. Yeah. In fact, um, usually every anniversary, I take his uh, kids out to breakfast first thing in the morning, and we go out and talk and chat. And you know, it's uh, yeah, tough, tough stuff. I married he and his wife. I dedicated his kids. I, you know, he was in my wedding. I mean, it was it was tough, but you know. Um, you know, I've done many, many funerals where, uh, you know, you just preach Christ at them. And there's such a good place to do that. Well, yeah. And I mean, that was because that was the thinking that I had going into this this funeral was I knew, first of all, my my buddy John is Native American. Um, he's from uh, the Caddo Indian tribe, which is out of Oklahoma. Uh, his grandfather was the last recognized chief of the Caddo Indians. Um so, I mean, he, you know, he, like the Indian thing is a very big thing to him and in, in his culture. And so, like, even looking at his Facebook page, and he's always told me that he's a, a Christian. And, you know, like I said, they grew up very Catholic, but, you know, later in his life, he's really taken hold of this, this whole Indian motif. And, and I don't understand all of the cultural things. Cause, like, he even said when he got up there and spoke, he goes, you know, I'm, I'm from the Caddo Indian tribe and, um, you know, we use the term God, Jesus creator. And so like all of, all of his Facebook profile was, you know, uh, prayers to creator and stuff like that. Like they use that term creator the way you and I would use God or Jesus, but it doesn't mean all of the Indians, um, native Americans are, you know, believe in Jesus, right? They might just be using the term creator because it's what they do culturally. Yeah. So I knew there were going to be a lot of people there who, you know, are Indian and not, uh, or I'm sorry, Native American and, and didn't know who Jesus was. But I also knew our buddy who's an atheist, really good friend. I mean, and he and I have had conversations about God and Jesus and, you know, how old is the earth and, you know, would you believe in Jesus? And I still remember one of our conversations and this is, this is kind of funny when you think about it. He was like, seriously, Mary was a virgin. Seriously, because <laughs> if you think about it right to a non-Christian, yeah, I get how stupid that sounds. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I get it. Okay, I get it. And yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So, but that was the thought going through my head is, dude, I know. Well, I didn't know for sure, but I'm like, I think our buddy is going to be there who's an atheist. What do you say? Like, this might be the opportunity to say something and, and really get through it. And it was interesting. I, I told this to you. Um, later in the week that uh, I was sitting next to my buddy and I could tell he did not want to be there. He was extremely uncomfortable being there. And yeah. I don't know if this was the reason could have been, he had a lot going on at work. I mean, I know he didn't want to take off from work. In fact, the only reason why he went after he told my buddy, John, that he wasn't going to go is I told him I was going to go. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to the 11 o'clock part, but you know, I'm not going to go to the, uh, the um, graveside portion and then there was a reception i'm like i got to get it back to work it wasn't a holiday for me this was a a holiday monday was a holiday for you know schools and stuff like that yeah and so he 
he basically went, I think, because I was there. And I could tell he didn't want to be there. And the thought going through my head is, okay, if I were an atheist, I wouldn't want to be here either. Like, I wouldn't want to be reminded of our mortality. Because when you die, dude, what do you got to look forward to? That's it. It's over. Yeah. Done. Yeah. I, I liked your insight where <laughs> you just said, hey, can we stop with the Lazarus stories at the funeral? And and I thought your take on it was really good. Well, that I I don't mean to nitpick <laughs> if if the person who was giving this they're funeral not, they're listened. not listening. They went off us a long time ago. I think they did. I think they, <laughs> they did. totally checked out a long time ago. But yeah, I mean, so like when they presented the gospel, they brought up Lazarus, and I'm sitting there going, thinking in my head, seriously, you're going to bring up Lazarus? Jesus brought him back to life. We're not bringing back, you know, my buddy's son who's in the casket here in the front, body already embalmed. Not that God couldn't, but I don't think he's going to, you know? I'm like, how are we using Lazarus to bring this up when you could just do it like you said? Consider Jesus. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've stood before the throne. Consider Jesus. Yeah. And, and here's the thing is, it, you know, what Jesus said about himself, I am the resurrection, the life, you know, that he's connected with, with our death and he's connected therefore with our resurrection that he's touched by Lazarus's death. Um, that, that he feels that pain. All those things are good to point out. But yeah, I, it, just when you said it, I'm always, I'm always interested in how things affect non-preachers. And that affected me because I, I have actually thought the same thing, being at a funeral before. And yet what Jesus says there is so powerful and such a good truth to present. But I just thought that was a really, really... I'll be honest with you. I think um, if someone were to ask me today, <laughs> what's your favorite verse in the Bible? After my Deuteronomy verse, <laughs> I would circle back around and I'd say... Actually, John eleven thirty five, I think, is is one of my favorite verses in the yeah. Bible. You know, growing up, it was the joke verse. You're like, oh, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. All right, cool. I got that verse down. You know, I had to learn a memory <laughs> verse this week. Done. You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. But I think the reason why now I love that verse so much is when you consider it in the context. Yeah. Jesus. His, his friend has died. He knows what he's going to do, right? Yeah. He knows he's going to raise him from the dead, not at the resurrection, but right there, right? And, you know, right, he's going over there to do it. Yeah. And yet, what does he do? He's weeping. Yeah. And I was like, that is like a brilliant just yeah. insight into the heart of God. You know, when, when Christians say, oh, don't weep, you know, blah, blah, blah. Paul doesn't say don't mourn. He says we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We still mourn. It still hurts. And Jesus wept. So that's an unbiblical deal. And you'll find Christians sometimes, hey, don't cry. Don't mourn. We'll see him again, brother. And it's like, okay, you weren't that close to him. I get it. But but the reality is that, uh, you know, it's okay. Like death is an interruption. Death is unnatural. Death is tragic and sad. And the fact that we have a resurrection is fantastic, but that does not mean that that death is not a tragedy. It is a tragedy, and it was not God's original design. So uh, there's nothing unspiritual. It's very biblical to think death sucks. You know, when I see the uh, the shirt that says, you know, F cancer, which has been going around a lot 
recently because, you know, we lost Bowie, you know, we've lost all these good people suddenly, um, you know, Glenn Fry, um, you know, it just, you know, what, what they're really saying is F death, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's, you know, uh, it's death, man. It's not, it's not cancer. It's not all these other things. It's death. Death is what we should be angry at. And, uh, yeah. And I always thought it was really interesting when, um, when I was reading Genesis, I don't know, last year or so, and that verse really struck me where it says, uh, you know, God was saying, what are we going to do because they'll live forever? Like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but this is after the fall. Yeah. And it was like, we have to give them death or they're going to live forever in sin. Yeah, that's right. You know, we got to take away the, the tree of life. Yeah, or- death was a judgment on sin because if man lived forever, it's the same principle Could in the scripture. you imagine God living limits- forever for how, with yeah. how sinful we are? Yeah. He, you know, God limits the the nature or the length of years to 120 because he goes, if they live longer, man, they, they get up to a lot more trouble. What you know, you they just become better at sinning. Where'd you come up with that number 120? Uh, it's in the Bible. It limits it to 120. What? Limits what? The age of man. God puts it, he says, man should no longer live past 120. When was that? Uh, it's in Genesis. Because what about all the people who lived past 120? Well, as a general rule, I mean. That's well, general rule. What about the people who live past 120 today? Then they Are just you go, saying uh-huh. I can't hold the Bible is literally 100% true on everything? No, no. There, there's some exceptions. You know, it's kind of like, you know, our age old debate about Enoch and, you know, and uh, who was it we talked about? Hey, all I'm saying is the book of <laughs> Hebrews says he was taken up and didn't taste death. That's all I'm saying. That's yeah. That's all. People have no idea what we're talking we, we about. We had this. We had this really fun debate uh, once on uh, jump school. I don't know. I don't remember what it was. Band of Brothers. But anyways, um, it, it was on uh, Band of Brothers. But anyways, guys, just a little bit of how to before we. How much time we got, Pete? About I got to finish, minutes. huh? We got ten minutes. Okay. So so just a little bit of of how to um, as you're looking at um, how to do the funeral. Uh, always good to start off. You know, you pick the music, the family picks music, try not to have more than about three songs, you know, pick their favorite songs. Sometimes they'll be like, I don't know what their favorite hymn was, or if they're not religious, they might pick something like, you know, ABBA, which is always lame, but uh, you know, it's their day, man. It's how you best are going to remember them. What? Staying alive. (laughs) Dancing queen. Dance with me, you know, so, so basically, but people, it's really funny. It's really personal. It's like someone's wedding, you know, but, but the family wants to remember them. Does that mean at my funeral, I could finally get no praise music. Can we, can I put in my request now? No praise music. Don't care what anyone else wants. Make everything fall right. Woo. Uh, Woo. Yeah. So that's what I got the power. That's going to be at Pete's funeral. Jamie came in to me the other day and she goes, Luke started singing that to me. <laughs> I got the I power. Got the power. <laughs> I was like, he's been in my car then. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so here's the deal, right? Um, really you want to pick hymns and people generally are religious at funerals. And so if, if they say, Oh, I don't know. You can always say, you know, I'd be happy to pick some for you. And, and what you want to do guys, you always want to meet with a family member before the funeral and go over the details. You are the one orchestrating the uh, ceremony. 
And so what I do is we come, you know, the, the first thing you do, so you have that little meeting, um, all of the other stuff, people will try to rope you into. For example, if you're a church planner, they're going to go, well, what do we do about the flowers? And what do there are people that you pay to do that. Do not, as the pastor, get roped into being a funeral home. You're not the funeral home. You conduct the service. That is all you do. If you have a building, then you graciously give it to them. If you're a church planner and you're sending churches nearby, you ask them. Now, keep in mind, there are people who make their living off of this. The funeral home business is a very corrupt business. It is um, people will milk you for every penny they can get out of you. You are vulnerable at this time of year. I mean, at this time in your life. So um, it, it is a huge money-making business. And, you know, I'm not saying that's wrong. People got to make their money. But I'm just saying you need to stay out of that. You let that be between those people. But let's say you use another church. Well, just be aware. Let, let me ask you something. Okay, so who do you – What? how would you handle that? Like, do you just refer them over to the, the funeral director and say, you know what, you've got to actually talk to the funeral director and they can give you yes. a pointer? Yeah, you say, hey, you know – um, uh, I'm not a funeral director. I don't know those things. Best thing to do is go through the yellow pages and talk to a funeral home about cremation, talk about, you know, um, burial. You stay out of that. You're just doing the service. And that's your calling. You're not called to do anything else. And so uh, the other thing is with the church, be aware that much like many churches have wedding coordinators, they also have funeral uh, coordinators and they might make their money. So be aware that you might go to the mothership and say, hey, can we use your building? And and the church may not charge you because you're one of their church planners. But the person, I've had this happen before, where the person who was the funeral coordinator slapped this family. And I told the mothership, hey, this is a poor family. And, you know, fair play to the mothership. They swooped in and said, hey, we'll, we'll cover that. Because I said, look, this family has no money. I And I never charge for funerals and I never charge for weddings. That's a personal thing. Often people want to pay you. Because I know they're getting gouged already, I usually don't accept money for that. Um, it's my service. It's my way of doing something to contribute. It's the same with the wedding. Often I'll tell people, hey, you know, my gift to you is here's $500. You know, here's a service you pay five, six, seven hundred dollars $700 for. It's yours for free. And, uh, you know, and then my wife goes, oh, that's cheap. We still got to get them a gift. But, uh, you know, with the funeral coordinator, just be aware that that's often a $1,000 fee um, from the person who's taken time out of their Saturday and has arranged with the florist, has arranged, you know, there's a lot to coordinate, arranged with the pallbearers, gone over, you know, uh, with the funeral home, all the details and when they should be there and what entrance they should go through. There's usually a lot more to be done than meets the eye. What I'm saying, church planners, you're the guy who shows up and conducts the funeral. You have the order of service. You don't want to be the guy printing up the bulletin, right? There's usually a nice, you know, folded. Normally the funeral home does that. And you can tell them, hey, give the funeral home my number and I will give them the order of service. So this is what I'm getting to. Let's go over the order of service real quick. Order of services, you go there and you do the, you know, we're gathered here today um, to remember so-and-so. And, um, you know, let's, uh, we want to honor them today. We want to remember their life. We want to remember the things uh, about them that we loved. And let's give this time to the Lord. And then you pray. And you pray, God, you know, we thank you for creating so-and-so. We thank you that they are one of a kind. Sometimes you get some chuckles. Sometimes people start crying. You know, it, it's tough. Funerals are tough. But a lot of times people laugh. 
Um, because what's going to happen during the funeral, if you do a, a good funeral, it's going to be about two things. It's going to be about God and it's going to be about that person. And so what you do after that is you sing a hymn. After you're done praying, you say, Hey, we're going to sing. It's in your, in your, you know, in your, um, what do they call it? The program. It's in your program. Um, they sing. Then what I do is I use the music as kind of like a buffer between the things that we're going to do. So we sing. Um, and I might say, I might introduce it. Hey, this was one of their favorite hymns. If it happens to be their favorite hymns, I love that because I'll pick a lyric or two out. Normally, as a pastor, you get an opportunity to talk to people about, you know, as they're dying, you, you go over this with them. You say, hey, you know, we do need to talk about, like, for example, um, you remember uh, uh, that when, um, oh, shoot. Um, oh, I, I'm blanking out on his name. Um, Garrett? No, his brother just died, Maurice. But uh, remember, they look like twins. He sang real deep. Oh! In the church, oh, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and uh, he could, he pulled the trailer. Why am I why am I blanking out on his name? God, David, um, what is it? I went and filmed a video of him sharing his testimony. I mean, his testimony was like he was like, "Look, I was a cross dresser. I got to share this. People at Refuge Long Beach don't know this about me." And uh, I was kind of a, a everybody thinks of me. He was an airplane mechanic, and um, uh, Brad. Right. And yeah, and right. so Brad was like, you know, look, I, I need to share this. I've never shared this, but I believe someone will come to Jesus as a result. And it was powerful. We showed this video of him. And but you know, I went and met him in the in the hospice home and said, Hey, you know, um, let's talk over your funeral, man. Uh, I want it to be just how you want it to be. And so it was his idea. He's like, I really want to share my testimony. I can tell you that was one of the coolest funerals ever because of that. Um, that he was able to speak. Here was this video of him speaking to everyone at his funeral, sharing his testimony about Jesus. And it was just so stinking powerful um, sharing this stuff. And people were saying, I had no idea about Brad, but you know what? That makes sense. I saw such a change in him. I thought there was a guy that God could never get a hold of on and on. So anyways, so you can do something like that. But you pick those things um, that are precious to them. So I would do, again, the introduction, the prayer, the, the hymn. Um, in Pete's case, I got the power. Um, you know, Then I would come to either a testimony or what I normally do after the first song is I talk about who that person was. Now, I've met with the family. I've asked for stories. I've asked for a, and I do a summary of their life. We sing another hymn. Then I open it up to other people to speak. Normally, that's going to be a loved one. Um, family members, best friends, and I limit that. And then if the family permits or desires it, we ask for people to come up and share. So this can all take time. You know, the funeral should probably go about an hour. Um, they sometimes go longer, sometimes shorter. But if a lot of times the family say, no, I don't want anyone else to come up. So you do another hymn, you pray. And then if there's a graveside, you go to the graveside. Now, if you go to the graveside, that was the part that freaked me out because I'm looking in the minister's handbook going, okay, the funeral's there. What do I do at the graveside? And I literally went to my first graveside having no clue what to do. And that terrified me because this is where they lower the coffin down into the earth and you're supposed to have another mini service. So I literally went out there and I, I hadn't been. I remember, I'm like 20 years old. I've been to funerals yet. You know, 
So I go out there and I'm like, uh, crap, I don't know what to do. All I can remember is in movies, they said ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? Um, so I go out there. I um, I say, hey, what we're putting in the ground here, because I, I, I remember someone preaching like this once, this isn't the real them. Um, we're not burying like Brad, we're burying the shell of Brad, the Brad we could see, but the Brad we can't see, the real Brad is with his Lord today. And one day we are going, and I share that verse, the dead in Christ shall rise. And then I say, will you pray with me? And then I pray. And then I take a handful of earth and I throw it on the coffin. And I say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust until that time comes. And I add that little bit on the end because ashes to ashes, dust to dust just sounds like, you know, bring out you did, you know, it, you know, like some Monty Python. It, it's very medieval. So I say ashes to ashes, dust to dust until he comes, you know, or until that day. I, I, I want to end on a high note. And then I turn to everybody and, you know, cause I've just prayed and now I've done something ceremonial. And I say on behalf of Brad and the family, I want to thank all of you for coming today. And you do that at the funeral too, by the way. I meant to say that. At the end of the funeral, you say, on behalf of Brad and the family, I want to thank you for coming today, Mm -hmm. celebrating his life, paying your respects. If you'd like to donate um, money to Boom Boom Boom, you can donate there. There's a table out there. Um, And then I say, if there's a graveside, I announce that. If there's a wake, I announce that. You do the announcements. But at the graveside, you, you turn, you thank him again. And uh, it's that simple. It's it's not rocket science. Yeah. The only last thing that I would add on to all of this, which obviously isn't about how to do the service or anything like that, because I got no experience in that <laughs> and hopefully never will, um, but would be to say this, guys, as your church grows, um, you're, you're going to end up doing more of these things. Yeah. And weddings, too. Yeah. And I will just caution you to not let it... Um, take over your life in the sense that like, I'll give you an example. When my wife and I got married, her pastor, he said to us, uh, they had to do like some, you know, marriage counseling with, with him before he would do the, the, the marrying together. Yeah. Um, And he said, Hey, look, I'm going to tell you guys right now that I don't come to the rehearsal because I do 20 to 30 weddings every year. And that means I would be out 20 to 30 Saturdays or sorry, Fridays. Um, Every year. And there's only 52 a year. That's not fair to my family. So I don't yeah. go to that. I will show up. I've done this enough. I know my role. I know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And I would just in, caution in you, fact, as the church grows and yeah. you start having to do more of these, if you have to, you know, just say, look, I can't, I, I, my family's got to come first. I mean, there's some people, obviously you're going to always do the funeral for, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's good you mentioned that because since we've had people die, I believe, I can't remember who took Brad's funeral. I can't remember if that was Chris or me. Um, and, and Ruben's brother, Eric, uh, I think Charlie took that because he was Mexican and it was a Mexican family. And they, that, that was important to them, you know, and, and fair play, you know, but also too. Well, that also uh, means a lot of the guests are going to be Mexican. Well, and, and the other thing was too, well, yeah, they and that, were. That I means mean, that's going to resonate more with them. That was probably one of the most awesome funerals I've ever been to. Um, where just all these gang members are standing up. And, and, and you know, it was funny because uh, with Charlie, the same thing. I didn't want to be the guy who baptized everyone, kind of like Paul said. You know, I baptized a few of you, but I didn't, 
So I had said to Charlie, hey, why don't you baptize Eric? And, um, you know, and so Charlie, and that was the other reason they wanted Charlie is they're like, you baptized him. And so that meant a lot to them. You know, when his life had really changed around, um, Charlie was there. And so it was, it was fitting. And so I think that's really healthy. It goes back, you know, I wrote this little book called Church Zero, and it's all about team leadership. And uh, right now, like I'm not, I'm not doing stuff. And by the way, this is something that will happen a lot too. People may have gone to your church plant and they were intimately involved in your church plant, but they've since moved on to a bigger church. Um, often what will happen is they'll come back to you and ask you to do the funeral. Um, that's a judgment call. If, like Pete said, life gets busy, you you have the freedom. And I've done this and I did this recently with somebody where I turned and said, you know what? Um, I would advise one one of my team members said, Hey, so and so passed away. Um, and I and I just said, Well, where have they been going to church for two years? And he said, Well, they've been going to such and such church. And I said, Okay, tell them to approach that church. Not because I was mad at them. I love the family. I had done another one of their family members, but uh it just you know, it, it wasn't something I had margin in my life for at that time, nor were they under my pastoral care. They had two years moved on, and I did not feel an obligation. Uh, I think my team felt more of an obligation to take the funeral. And so sometimes you have to give that strong advice like Paul did when he, when he talks about care of the widows in First Timothy at the very end of the book in mm-hmm. chapter 6. He says, look, he goes, now concerning the care for widows, they were being guilted in Ephesus to care for widows who had family members. So we recently lost a, a guy, and the family saying, we have no money, and we can't pay for the funeral. I don't care who you are. You can get money for your family members to cremate a body or take care of them. We're this little church plant. And I think for our guys, and I love our guys, man, they have a heart for people, but they're going, well, we should do this for him. And it, it would literally bankrupt our account to pay for this guy's Yeah, uh, that funeral stuff's expensive. Uh, what's that? That stuff's expensive. It's really expensive. And so I had to kind of draw the line like Paul does with the food to widows. And I, and I literally invoked the scripture and said, guys, Paul says if they have family, the family looks after them. You only do stuff like that for people who have no family. When the family comes and says, we don't have money, Paul says, get that out of here. No, I don't buy it, right? Because all these people that you're you're, you're pulling on here, no, they they don't. He he literally says, you you can't put that on the church. And so those are some strong words. I know some of you out there would be like, man, that's cold. But First uh, Timothy six is cold, and Paul says that to protect the church, because otherwise the church becomes this this black hole where people are just sucking money out of it to pay for things that their family really. Paul says should take responsibility for. So right. just just be aware of that little little tip, little little nugget of wisdom there from an old dog. <laughs> I get it, man. I get it. Well, you know, um, I think in closing us out, one of the other things too that I notice about um, about pastors and like kind of what you just talked about is you're not really a math pastor, are you? You know, I don't do math well, but I know what the church can and can't afford. What I need help with, Pete. Is the details. What? Yeah. I, I need someone to, you know, to kind of monitor my accounts and and maybe, you know, track mission giving and and, and set up different, you know, set up payroll for me. 
and and take care of maybe that monthly accounting and the the bookkeeping and stuff like that. You know, yeah. is there a service out there that you've ever heard of that can do this for a church? You know, Pete, I wish there was. If only there was something like that. InsertSimplifyChurch.com. I, I picture you popping up like the SimplifyChurch.com genie, kind of like Mr. Clean popping up in your kitchen. I, I kind of, you know, you said Mr. Clean, but all of a sudden I got uh, the Jolly Green Giant going, ho, 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 Green Giant. I'm <laughs> going through my head. I have no idea why. Well, anyway, back to what we were saying, guys. There is a great service. If you haven't signed up to use them, you really do need to contact those guys over there, simplifychurch.com. They make your life so much easier. They take care of all the administration work that you don't want to do, bookkeeping, insurances, payroll, um, all of the the health insurance stuff, all of that. So contact simplifychurch.com to find out more about what they can do for you. And then lastly, Peyton, one other thing that I just want to bring up is uh, a book. Bringing out the pain. What's the name of that book? And why should everyone run out and get that book? (laughs) Well, because the publisher's paying us to talk about it, Pete. What? (laughs) That's the only reason I run. No, I'm teasing. Actually, the book is called Apostolic Church Planning by Mr. J.D. Payne. And J.D. Payne has written a gem of a book. Now, honestly, I would not talk about this book. I always I listen to podcasts and then and then I go. I really believe in this product. Um, I would I would recommend this book. It's a good book. He, you know, my hero in church planning handed me a book by J.D. Payne called The Barnabas Factor. Um, Don Overstreet. He, he basically handed it over to me and said, hey, you need to read this. You need to know this. J.D. Payne cranks out some good stuff on church planning. And this is about apostolic church planning. You're going to be hearing more about that in the future, particularly as we become more post-Christian and more post-modern as a society. And apostolic church planning is going to be the only way it's going to work. So grab that book. It's good. Uh, it's a lot about you know guys who uh, start movements, guys who uh, plant and move on, um, guys. I suppose really like uh, like I used to be Pete back before I just started training guys. That's what I used to do. It so is. Uh, check it out, Apostolic Church Planning by J.D. Payne. And if you're wondering, guys, if uh, you should have actually listened to the podcast this far, you should not have come back. That's all we're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so now you know. Yeah. So, uh, guys, this has been the Church Planter Podcast. Reminding you, if you want to reach ones no one's reaching, go where nobody's going. And, and do. do what nobody's doing. What nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planter Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planter Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. 